Hi, I'm Damien Mew, CEO of AI Australia New Zealand, and we are proud to bring you this Future Women production. At AIA, our purpose is to make a difference in people's lives and champion Australia to be the healthiest nation in the world. In this pursuit, we are passionate about supporting women to live healthier, longer, better lives. It's not always easy. That's why we believe in dreaming big but thinking small, as good health starts by making small, healthy changes. Visit aavitality.com.au to find out how we can support and reward you to take your first small steps to a healthier you. This podcast is brought to you by Future Women, a new home for women to come together online and in person. Become a member to gain full access to Future Women's content, events and community, plus our packed calendar of member-only social club events. For more details, head to futurewomen.com. When you got a new lipstick, you would feel so confident and fabulous that day. And that's the feeling that I felt that beauty products should give you. But the shopping experience for beauty products was making people feel the exact opposite. And I thought, well, something needs to change about that. And this was sort of around the very dawn of, of online shopping. And I thought, oh, somebody needs to do this for beauty. Hi there, welcome to Future Women with Sylvia Jeffries, where we climb inside the brilliant minds of successful female founders and learn how they've spun their simple ideas into global game changers. So whether you're in business, own one, or dream of doing it for yourself, these conversations will guide you through the keys to development, scale and investment with a heavy hit of humour and reality on the side. I was always coming up with better ways of doing things, which some workplaces, that's great, but Mm. most of them, they don't really like you doing that and they find a way to spit you out at, at some point. But that's... That's what makes you a great entrepreneur, right? So, I, I'd look, if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably, yes, be getting fired from whatever else yep. I was doing. Today's guest is Adore Beauty CEO, Kate Morris. Kate Morris was just 21 when she set up Australia's first online beauty retailer from her Melbourne garage in 1999. She was way ahead of the pack. After humbly launching with a $12,000 loan, adorebeauty.com.au is now a thriving multi-million dollar company. I worked out that our sort of our, you know, the seed capital that we needed for our minimum viable product was about $12,000. That was kind of just enough to get the website built and to buy a little bit of stock. Not enough to pay me anything, not enough to do any marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I think I had sort of had this really naive assumption that, you know, because I was doing something so amazing that if I built it, they will they come. Will, they will come. Mm. Um, and of course, they didn't. It's been a long road, though, over two decades. And in this conversation, Kate speaks candidly about the challenges she's faced. And one for the beauty addicts, she also lifts the lid on her go-to makeup items. You don't want to miss that. This is Kate Morris. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, Take us back to the start of Adore Beauty. What was the genesis or or the single light bulb moment? The very start. So you have to go all the way back to... 1999 for this, um, which is, you know, in if we're talking internet years, this is the prehistoric yeah. period. <laughs> BC. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's it. That's it. Um, so I was I was still a uni student and my part-time job was working on the Clarence counter. 
Uh, they used to send me around to different department stores and, and look, I, I loved it because I'd always kind of been a beauty junkie and so for me it was like my dream job, well, as far as uni jobs go. Um, but one of the things that I came to realise was that for most women they really hated that experience of having to go into a department store and it felt to them kind of like running the gauntlet of these scary sales assistants who all had their sales targets and they were going to jump on you and try and sell you things by making you feel bad about your wrinkles or whatever. And, and I thought, you know, to me, that just made me really sad because what I loved about beauty was that, you know, when you got a new lipstick and it was a really good new lipstick, like you would feel so confident and fabulous that day. Um, and that's the feeling that I felt that beauty products should give you. But the shopping experience for beauty products was making people feel the exact opposite. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. Something needs to change about that. And um, and this was sort of around the very dawn of, of online shopping. And I thought, oh, somebody needs to do this for beauty. Someone needs to do this for beauty because this would be great. And then people wouldn't have to go into department stores anymore. And that'll be, that'll be really exciting when that happens. Mm. And I kind of waited for somebody else to do it. And um, meanwhile, you know, talking about it constantly. And um, in the end, my boyfriend said to me, he said, look, are you going to stop like banging on about this and and actually do it or what? And I thought, oh. I'd literally, before that minute, had never, ever, ever thought of myself as an entrepreneur or as someone that could start a business. How old were you at this stage? I was 21. Wow. Yeah, and, never contemplated it. And what made you so sure as a 21-year-old who'd worked behind the counter yeah. that women would buy these products on the internet? <laughs> that is a really excellent question because certainly everybody in the industry, like once I actually decided I was going to do it and started approaching brands, they all said, oh, you know, honey, nobody's nobody's going to buy beauty products online. No, you need to see them in person. And I guess, I guess what gave me confidence was that I knew how unpleasant people found the alternative. And I mean, I'd, I'd grown up in Tasmania, so I knew that even just from a purely sort of access perspective to, you know, people being able to get the products that they wanted and the brands that they wanted. There were so many people who, you know, beauty junkies like me living in these sort of smaller towns where you just couldn't get that kind of stuff. And I thought, no, people would totally do this. Um, you know, I get that there's some categories that it might be harder to do than others, but I mean, mascara, for instance, it's not like you always walk into a store and literally put a mascara on your eyes before you go home and buy it. And I thought, you know, I think there's enough that you could do around having good photos and giving people the information they need and letting people share information with each other. I thought, no, I, I, I'm confident we could make this work. And what did the the beginning of the business look like structurally? Where were you based and who were you working with? I was based in my garage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was in Melbourne. In Melbourne. So it was really cold in, yeah, <laughs> in winter. And so there's me like that first winter <gasps> sitting like in the garage with yeah, my cat. On and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 and like literally fingerless gloves on so that I could type because it was that cold. Um, yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty lo-fi safe to say. Um, so look, I'd started with, um, I'd started with my boyfriend, we sort of started the business together, but we couldn't actually afford for both of us to be working in it. Um, so he had to go off and get some jobs that he hated oh. <laughs> while <laughs> I sat in the, the garage freezing my butt off. So, um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so it was it was yeah, it was pretty low fi and it was lean is mm. a lovely way of putting it. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um and look, you know, every day I used to if if any orders came through and some days they did and some days they didn't, but if any orders came through, I would pack them up myself and I'd put them in one of those little granny shopping carts and wheel them up to the post office and um and post them off and I I did that oh look for at least a couple of years before we could afford for both of us to work in the business. So how did you fund the beginning of the business? Um, I worked out that our sort of our you know, the seed capital that we needed for our minimum viable product was about twelve thousand dollars, um, which that was doesn't enough. seem like much in today's. It was not very much. Yeah. No. No. Probably would have been good if we'd had a little more, but yeah. um, but that was because that was kind of just enough to get the website built and to buy a little bit of stock. Um, not enough to pay me anything, not enough to do any marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, th- I think I had sort of had this really naive assumption that, you know, because I was doing something so amazing that if I built it, they will they come. Will, they will come. Mm. Um, and of course they didn't, you know, you open an online store and it's just like crickets. Yeah. <laughs> For how long was it crickets? Oh, look. Um, it was very, very slow. I think maybe in the first year we did sales of maybe $50,000. Um, so that was, it was, yeah, it was pretty quiet. Certainly not enough to, you know, pay a wage or anything. Were you starting to think that maybe you'd no. done the wrong thing? No, no, no. Committed to it? Well, I think, I mean, look, I'm really stubborn, obviously, mm. which, um, you know, which I know now. <laughs> but look, I think... I mean, the, the whole beauty industry thought the idea was was a bit stupid, but the the feedback that I would get from customers um, when you know, and these would be people placing their first ever online orders, people who'd never ever ever actually ordered anything online before, and and they'd sort of send me an email, or give me a phone call afterwards, and went, "Wow, I just made my first online purchase, and this is the best thing ever." Yeah. And can you please go and get brands X Y Z because then I never have to go into Maya ever again. And um, and so for me, like all those little bits of positive feedback, it's like, okay, no, you're on the right track. People just aren't quite ready for this yet, but they'll but they'll get there. People will like it. Um, and look, it did continue to grow, but it's just it's. Even for the first 10 years, it was kind of, you know, just a very gradual growth. So I think after 10 years, we were maybe at maybe at 3 million mm-hmm. revenue. Um, so it was was long and slow and, you know. At, at which point did you really see things starting to gather pace? Probably really started to kick off. Look, maybe sort of 2012, 2013 was it was – when we started to see, okay, the brands were starting to embrace e-commerce more, so we had a better product selection. Um, customers were kind of getting the idea that online shopping is not this, you know, really scary, terrifying thing, and that actually it's really convenient and you can get access to products that maybe would otherwise be challenging. And um, and I guess that was sort of about the point that we started. You know, the feeling in the business changed um, to feeling like we were constrained by capital, so it was more like. Oh, if only I could buy a little bit more stock or if only we had a bit more money, we could buy this brand and that brand. And if only we could afford to, you know, do these things to the website or if only I could afford to hire a couple more people. And so it, it felt that like that there was a ceiling and the ceiling was cash. Mm. Um, and so that was when I realised that we were going to have to go and raise some capital. And and what have your experiences been with investment up until this point? Oh, up until that point, zero. Like the original loan that we got from my boyfriend's parents, that was it. 
um, <laughs> which yeah. we, you know, which we paid off after a couple of years. But after that, no, it was it was all completely funded through cl- through cash flow, which is good discipline, right? Because you know it forces you to create a business model that mm. fundamentally is profitable. Um, but at a certain point, it's 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 limiting, and so I thought, right, okay, we're going to have to go out and raise some capital and I started trying to you know kind of reach out to my networks to find out okay how do you even do this like this is because I mean even you know this many years ago like it's not a well-worn path there's not a whole certainly not for women for women absolutely not no I didn't know anybody that had raised capital so I had no idea what to do and um and so sort of started reaching out to my network and um and it was actually one of my mentors who said to me look if you're serious about doing this I know some people who might be interested in? And I said, "Yeah, look, I, I, I think, I think we are serious about it." And she said, "Okay, I'm going to set up this meeting for you." And so a week later, she phoned. She said, "Look, I've set up the meeting, so you're going to be meeting with Woolworths." And I just laughed. I said, "Jane, don't be an idiot." And no. she's like, "No, seriously, for that's real. who you're meeting with." And I was like, "Okay, sure, yes, I can, I can, I can, I can do this. Yep, absolutely, not a problem." So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, go into your first capital raise with a sort of sixty billion dollar gorilla, and um, it was that was interesting. I learned a lot. I bet. Yeah, I bet. And what what have you learned that you would share with perhaps other female founders who are seeking investment at this stage? Some of the lessons through that process. Oh, look, it's really interesting in terms of what people look for. And obviously my my capital raising journey wasn't wasn't the sort of, you know, pitch to five zillion VC funds, you know, so so it was different. And and I guess I feel very lucky in the sense that the people that we work with at Woolworths, um, like there's a lot of senior women at Woolworths and so it's it wasn't wasn't the kind of chauvinistic experience that I think a lot of other women have had to go through. So I feel very fortunate in that regard. Um, but I think it, I mean one of the common things not just with capital raising, but, you know, with business generally is that people do confuse confidence with competence. And I think women naturally are, you know, more conservative um, in, you know, when they forecast. Like I'd only, I would only ever forecast numbers that I knew I could hit. But men don't do that. No, they go way over. They go, yeah. They're like, what's my most optimistic? They're in the next suburb. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, okay, if everything went right. Yeah. What could we maybe achieve? And those are the numbers that they give. And so people are you, but you know, people when they're looking at your business and they look at your forecast, they're used to kind of mentally sort of discounting them, going, "Okay, yes, so this is the best case scenario. We'll assume that's the best case scenario. So therefore, what's what are you probably going to achieve?" And I didn't, I didn't realize that. Like I thought everybody just put forward the numbers that they could hit, and then they would expect to, you know, be held to those numbers. So I actually remember um, <laughs> after the first, I don't know, maybe the first 12 months with, with Woolworths fronting up to the board and saying, look, I'm really sorry, we missed our revenue numbers by $20,000. And they're like, are you for real? Oh, my goodness, we didn't think you'd actually get them, you know. That's so, in range. Yeah. I know, I know. That's like, oh, no, you totally hit it. Like, missing, yeah. that's, that, that counts as hitting it. And and so I think that's that's one of the challenges is that as women we're taught to keep ourselves smaller um, and be less bombastic about things. And at the moment, unfortunately, the game that you're playing is the men's game. And so, you know, you've kind of got to go in there and go, okay, right, what do I think I can achieve? And then amp that up. You know, within reason, but you've mm. you've really you've got to hype it up because that's what they expect. Yeah. Um, and until we get enough women investors in the game to you know 
to be able to see the way women approach business and to, you know, to know that that's also valid because, I mean, you shouldn't have to do that, right? You, know, you should be able to just, you know, to actually put forward a sensible and reasonable business case. But um, until until we get enough women in investing, I feel like, okay, well, if this is the game that you've got to play, you have to go, play the get game. to their level to that's some it, extent. 100%. Yeah. To some extent. To some you extent. You don't necessarily want to go the whole way. Well, this is a thing. And uh, I actually, I was at an event with Julie Bishop the other day and mm. she said, look, you know what, if you try and act like a man, it's a waste of a woman. Yes. And I do yeah. agree. So yeah. yes, you shouldn't turn yourself inside out trying to be somebody else. Yes, um, but it helps to understand the territory that, that you're in. It does. It helps to, to understand that, that yeah. you know, the, the, what is the vision, you know, what are the, what are the glasses that everyone is looking mm-hmm. at you through and how are they going to interpret what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. So you've had enormous growth in the last few years and yeah. the company is 100% owned it is, again yes, by yes. you and your yes. husband at this yes. point. Yep. So you've gone from 16 million Turnover in 2016. Yeah, is that right? Uh, yep. To 52 million in 2018. Yes. What do you What do you put that steady growth down to? And especially given your projections are looking at like a hundred million dollars yeah. for the next year to come. Yeah. How do you descri- How do you explain that enormous growth in the last few years? Oh, timing's a good thing, isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> Look, I think really we we were just we were probably started the business maybe ten years too early, and that's okay because it you know gave us a chance to learn all the lessons make and make mistakes. all the mistakes. Yeah. Because I was pretty clueless, um, you know, when I started, I didn't have any business experience, so I, I don't have any regrets about that. Um, look, I think I think fundamentally what we're trying to do is to approach the the beauty retail model in a very customer centric way. Um, which shouldn't be that revolutionary because that's what everybody should be doing. You know, everybody that's got customers should be thinking first about their customers. Making them happy. Right, all of the time. But unfortunately, that's not the way that it was. Um, And if you look at the department store experience, for instance, I mean, there's been no innovation in that experience for 70 years. Eternally disappointing. You know, then that's and that's how it's always been. Mm. And I think, you know, and, and the way that... The way that that experience works is, um, you know, the brands control every aspect of the experience and they, you know, on purpose put a lot of barriers in the customer's way to be able to shop across different brands or to be able to get information, Um, you know. You but it, it defeats the purpose of a department store. But you go there because it's a one st- one stop shop. But it isn't. But then, if I want to try on a pair <laughs> of country road shoes, I can't try on a pair of. Um, you know, Stuart Weissman's shoes at the same time because That's they're it. controlled by two different sales Because they're in different sections and they're like, oh, you yeah, know, I can't help you with that. It's, it's so just, frustrating. You know, what is the point? Yeah. Um, exactly. And I mean, if you walk into the department store with a particular skin concern, if you walk in and say, hey, my skin's really dehydrated, I feel like I need a better moisturiser or maybe a serum or something, what should I get? How are you going to make that work? There is nobody there that knows the whole floor. Mm. Uh, and that's where I feel online actually really has an advantage over, um, you know, sort of face-to-face retail is that we don't just have to depend on the knowledge of the individual person who's serving you. You can actually collate, you know, I mean, for us, you know, 19 years worth of customer data and all of the information that we know about all of our products um, and all of the reviews from a zillion other different customers. And so the customer can actually shop with all of that at their fingertips and I think make much better decisions. Mm. Um, and that's that's what excites me is for, you know, for our customers that we serve, 
how can we help them get rid of that kind of cosmetic graveyard under the sink of all the things they've ever bought and they weren't quite right and or they, you know, sort of got talked into buying them and, and you know, it's expensive so you can't throw it out. So it just kind of sits under there and makes you feel bad every mm. time you look at it. And I, I feel like our customers can spend their money much smarter by having all of that information at their fingertips. In the last few years, have you, as you've seen that enormous growth in your business, we've also seen the arrival of some of the big international players yep. in Australia, the yep. online retailers, Sephora, for example. Oh, yeah. They've obviously got physical stores now in the country sure. as well. Yeah. Ha- has that helped or hindered you? Um, well, it hasn't hindered us. I mean, obviously, because that's when we sort of started to see all of our all of our growth. I think, I don't know whether whether Sephora's arrival, you know, actually helped in terms of, um, you know, putting more focus onto the beauty category more generally. Um, certainly beauty has had a huge surge in the last few years and I, and I think a lot of that's probably driven by Instagram and, and just, you know, people being much more aware of um, not just the way they look but, you know, all of the products that are available, like we see so much more people who are just absolute mad skincare junkies these days and look, mm. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I, you know, so I don't know if it was actually their coming drove part of that because it because it made people more excited about the category or whether it was just – it was probably just more reflective of the fact that, you know, this market um, – you know, they're voracious beauty consumers and so Sephora came here to serve them and we're here to serve them too and um, – and that's what we've seen mm. over the last few years is just, you know, tremendous growth for, you know, in both specialist beauty retailers and, and online. Mm. Yeah. And what's the next step for you? I, I hear something about artificial intelligence yeah. and integrating that into yeah, yeah, your yeah. platform. How yeah, does yeah, that yeah. work? Yeah. Uh, well, so that's about, you know, taking all of all of the data that we have and being able to say, okay, right, how can we help you solve the problem of, you know, out of the 952 moisturisers that we carry, helping you, Sylvia, find the exact one that's going to be perfect for you. Um, mm. Because, you know, that's a hard thing, right? I, I, What I call this is um, the mum problem. Because my mum phones me up. She's, I hope she's not listening to this, but anyway, she, <laughs> she phones she me might up. Be. She phones me up usually during the day when I'm in the middle of like five zillion things and says, you know, Katie, I need a new moisturiser and I'll say, yeah, look, you know what, you can you can go and buy that online. We have a website for that. And she's like, yeah, but there's, there's too many. You tell me, which one should I get? Mm. You know, you, you know me, you know my skin. And so I, mm. I, so we think about that and go, okay, right, how can we, I mean, yes, obviously I can tell my mum which moisturiser yeah. to buy. But, but the choice we, is overwhelming. The choice is overwhelming. And so how can we kind of personalise this huge offering that we have for every single person because everybody's needs are different, you know, and and there's no sort of one best one. I mean, there's what you like might not be the same as what I like. You know, maybe you like things that are, I don't know, vegan or um, super luxe and come in, you know, like a really nice fancy glass jar or maybe you like the things that are the most cosmeceutical and hardcore and you're like, no, just give me all of the vitamin C. Mm. I want ascorbic acid to the max. And so it's everybody everybody's preferences are different. And so how can we how can we do that in terms of um, personalizing every aspect of our site, but to do it at scale. So to make sure that, hey, we can show you all of the articles that are relevant to you, but none of the ones that aren't. You know who's you know who's doing that in beauty. I don't feel like anybody's doing it, so that's that's mm. where we see our future. Interesting. Yeah, um, I am going to ask you 
what are your go-to products, oh. but not until the end. Okay, so, sure. Because we like to keep people hanging, of course. Sure, sure. Um, so where, where are you at? What is the business structure now? How many products? How many brands? How many staff? Sure. How many everything? Oh. So about 14,000 products, um, about 220-ish brands these days. I haven't actually counted recently. It's, yeah, it's over yeah. 220. Um, we have oh, pushing about 150 staff and they're spread across two locations in Melbourne. So we have um, our head office and then we also have our warehouse, which is out near Melbourne Airport. Um, goodness, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's actually literally like, you know, millions of people on our site every month and so we're becoming increasingly content focused because mm. um you know yes it's great to have all the products available or whatever but um how can we how can we do more around education and you know what is a gua sha what is a dermal roller you know what all of these <laughs> yeah. all of these you know cool do they work dermal rollers dermal rollers yeah do they really yeah they do okay yeah they're pretty hardcore i mean it's i just think it's fascinating that you know 3 years ago honestly there is no way we could have sold someone like this rolling device covered in needles yeah. and like, people were too freaked out by that what but- about those crystal rollers the crystal rollers, yep, people are super into them. I don't personally use one because they're sort of more of a face oil thing and I'm much more of a hardcore serum person. Yeah. Um, so it kind of depends what's your jam. Mm. Um, but, yeah, hugely popular. Mm. Yeah, 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 the jade rollers and the the rose quartz rollers. Um, yeah, it's – but the, the, the amount of – advancements and and how fast it is now yeah. is that for a consumer it can be really overwhelming and you're like uh, uh, what you know a guasha what's that you know who what is the- that oh it's yeah. like um it's it's actually like a like a like a chinese medicine thing and it's and it's designed for sort of um like facial stimulation it's kind of like a like a this little kind of rose quartz stone and you you use ah. it it's almost kind of like um lymphatic drainage principles yeah right and, yeah, yeah and yeah. so uh, yeah, again all of these things that our customers don't know yet and we want to help her with and and so that she doesn't you know just feel kind of overwhelmed by it all and so that's I guess we we really enjoy it and you know you'll see you know anyone that's on sort of our email list or that reads our reads our blog beauty IQ or follows us on social media most of the people on there are just people who work at a door mm. you know we don't actually use a lot of models or anything like that because we think, you know, what's actually much cooler if we just show it to you yeah. on a real person <laughs> um, because that's, you know, that's reality. It's more and, relatable. Well, I think so. And and I think what we're really all about is not, okay, how can you look like a Kardashian, um, but more how can you be whatever version of yourself that you feel like being on any mm. particular day. If you want to wear makeup, absolutely, we can show you how to do that. If you don't feel like it, you can't be bothered, hey, do that too. That you know? <laughs> said, I I would think that the Kardashians have played a big role in enhancing the interest in beauty and makeup. Uh, yeah, for sure. Probably, right? I think definitely. But I think there's also a lot of people that are like, oh, goodness, you know, I don't. It's not my look. But oh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, you know, this whole sort of like 12-step contouring routine. There's a lot of people that look at that and go, oh, I cannot be bothered. Yeah. Um, I would, you know, they're quite happy to get involved in a 10-step skincare routine. But the whole sort of makeup thing, you know, is maybe not maybe not their bag and and we're we're there for all of it it's just hey look do do what feels right for you there's no there's no shoulds I sometimes get people saying to me things like I don't wear eyeshadow do you think I should wear eyeshadow it's like well do you want to wear eyeshadow Mm. if you don't want to wear it then goodness don't you know Mm. (laughs) beauty should be for you it shouldn't be shouldn't be 
you shouldn't ever have to feel like, you know, you have to do it for somebody else. Mm. Um, you know, although, I, don't, I mean, you know, you've got to wear it for I've got to look TV. a certain way. Certainly, you know, I find I have to look a certain way too. It's, it's yeah. you know, but, um, but where, uh, you know, where I see beauty going is where it can be a thing that we do, we do for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you... Um, find time to do things for yourself, yeah. given the enormous load that you have on your plate yeah. and an enormous business to run. Yeah. How do you fit in anything outside of work? It's an excellent question. Um, look, to be honest, I think, you know, there are there are two things I have in my life. One of them is my job. The other one is my kids and my family. That's pretty much it. How old are your kids? Um, they are eight and three. Wow. So they're, they're still little. Busy. But I just there's just things that I don't do now. Like hosting big fancy dinner parties, don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like going on amazing, you know, six-week overseas trips, don't no. do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are just things that do not. So you've, not... Di- you've ditched all the really boring things in life, basically. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Look, you know, it's just you've just got to prioritise and you've got to go, okay, yeah. well, you cannot, it's not possible just to not do possible. everything. I mean, yep. I've stopped, for instance, like I don't bake my kids' birthday cakes mm-hmm. anymore. I used to do that thing where I'd, you know, stay up all night making the Women's Weekly yep. cakes and then at some point I just went, oh, this is ridiculous. And Outsource. Yeah, it's outsource. Yep. And, and, you know, I said to the kids, I said, oh, do you mind? Do you mind that mum didn't make it? And they're like, No. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> don't care. Don't care. So it's just you choose what you put your energy into mm. um, and you can't do everything. And look, honestly, I mean, around things like exercise, like it just all has to be scheduled in. Mm-hmm. It just it happens at regular times and it's blocked out of the diary because if you sort of wait until, oh, I'll do that when I have time, you won't ever have time. So you just decide what you're going to make time for. Are there any big mistakes that you've made along the way that you've drawn many lessons from? Oh, thousands my mm. entire career I feel like has come from just you know making stupid mistakes um look I don't I don't know I guess I don't I don't look back on the things that I did wrong and go oh you know gosh I wish I'd I wish I had that over again because it's just well everything's a learning experience right um but I mean things that I think are useful to learn and to think about um I think definitely putting the time and energy into building your networks I know a lot of people put that off because you know maybe they maybe they feel self-conscious or they think oh you know everybody there's going to be like you know their business is going to be bigger or better than mine or um or I'm, oh, I'm an introvert I don't like doing that kind of thing I don't like putting myself out there I don't want to put myself out there it's like you know you got to put yourself out there you've got to actually make time to build those relationships because it's not what you know, it's who you know. And you got to hustle. You look mm. a little bit, a little bit, you do. And, and I used to make a deal with myself. I would force myself to go to networking events and I'd say, right, you know, and then I'd be like, oh, maybe I can cancel. Oh, it's raining. I don't really want to go. And so the deal that I would make with myself would be, okay, I only have to go for an hour. If you don't meet anybody interesting, you don't have any good conversations in an hour, then you can go home. And so that would be the deal that I would make myself to get myself there. And then you always meet somebody interesting. And so, but you have to requires time and effort. Mm. Yeah. Um, what do you think you would be doing if you didn't set that business up in your garage way oh, back when? Look, it's a great question. Um, probably getting fired a lot. I got fired, <laughs> I got fired from half of the jobs I had before starting. For what? This any business. any good stories? Oh, any good stories. You know what? It's, I, I've figured out what it is and maybe this is the thing that tells you that you need to be an entrepreneur, but um, I I cannot accept the status quo if I think it's stupid or if I think it's wrong. 
So, <laughs> which, so sometimes I was always coming up with, you know, better ways of doing things, which, you know, some workplaces, that's great, but mm. most of them, they don't really like you doing that and um, and they find a, find a way to spit you out at, yep. at some point. So, um, but that's, that's what makes you a great entrepreneur, right? Is mm-hmm. because you say, well, just because this is the way things have always been done doesn't mean we have to keep doing it that way. You can way. do it better. We could do it better. Um, and yeah, so I, I'd look, if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably, yes, be getting fired from whatever else yep. I was doing. Yeah. And do you think, is this your forever career, your forever job? Oh, I don't think you could say anything's forever. No, goodness. Mm. Um, look, there'll become a point at, at some time where, where I'll realise, oh, you know what, there's there's something else better that I can go and do or, or you know, it's time for someone else to lead this business or, you know, I mean, I think I was reading something the other day saying that generally we should think about our lives in these sort of, you know, 10 or 20 year kind of career blocks um, and, you know, you can completely reinvent yourself after that. So who knows? What has been the most satisfying moment for you so far across the life of Adore Beauty? Oh. It's a really good question. Um, I mean, I still, I still honestly get a massive buzz. Like any time a customer writes us in an email saying, you know, telling us a, a happy story about the way that you know we interacted with their lives. Like that's still, I just, I love that. Um, but look, probably it would have to be to do with the team um, because you know we've we've grown from nothing, and a lot of people that we've brought into the business might have started at a point where they didn't have a lot of experience or they started in very junior roles and kind of took the opportunities that came their way and worked their way up. And And whenever you see people grow really dramatically like that, like honestly, it's one of the coolest things. Mm. Um, it's, you know, I mean, not that managing staff is always easy, you know, mm. it isn't sometimes it's really hard, but um, but to see, to see people grow and to take on new things and, um, you know, we call them swimmers. It's like, okay, can you chuck them in the deep end? <laughs> And see if they'll swim, and you know, and when they do, it's just the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For so many reasons. Yeah, <laughs> obviously because they're not drowning, which yeah. is also which good, is great. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. But no, to to see people to see people grow is yeah, um, very is tremendous. Yeah, it yeah, is. I bet. It is. I bet. Yeah. Well, I say that there are few women in Australia with a greater wealth of knowledge when it comes to beauty products. Yep. What's out there? What works? What Oof. doesn't? What's the best? What's sure. the not? Yeah. Um. So. Can you hit us with your maybe five go-to favorite beauty products? Things. Uh, like for example, okay. today you're in sure. Sydney, okay. visiting. Yes. What what goes into your essentials? My travel essentials bag? travel bag. Okay. Well, look, this is this is probably the products that I travel with, and not necessarily the ones that I use at home because mm-hmm. I think travel has different requirements. It does, just, obviously. So yes. you've started. This is this is a very complex. Okay, I made so it we, too we complicated. Need like a whole another hour for this. Um, no, okay. So I mean, sunscreen always, 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 always sunscreen. Um, Any particular brand? I like ultraviolet. Ultraviolet Supreme Screen is my favourite because it kind of doubles as moisturise as I'm sorry, not as moisturise as sunscreen and primer, so you don't kind of need a separate one. But also, it's really hydrating, and when you travel, it just sucks all of the moisture out mm. of your skin. So I'm a massive ultraviolet you fan. You have beautiful skin. I've been admiring it the whole way through the conversation. Thank you. So whatever you ta- whatever Kate says is a winner. <laughs> I'm telling um, you. I like uh, SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic Serum, which is 
absolutely not cheap, but is totally worth it. Um, I kind of think of it like insurance for your skin. So you can kind of start using it from the time that you're in your 20s because it has this sort of preventative effect. It's an antioxidant, so it helps prevent your skin from accelerated aging. And because we're all in Australia, right, it's just our our skin always is going to look older and crustier than someone who's, you know, never seen the sun in Britain or wherever. Um, so a really powerful antioxidant. It's also really brightening. It just It just makes your skin glow. It's the best. Um, what else am I into at the moment? I'm really liking um, Makeup Forever Ultra HD Foundation. Mm-hmm. I use a bit of that. It's great, um, particularly great for you because yep. you're on TV and people are sometimes seeing your face like, you know, enormous in TV And signs. in high definition these exactly. days, tragically. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's very scary. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so I always I always wear that if ever, I'm having, if ever I'm having photos taken or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, the coverage of it is just is flawless, but it looks like skin still. Mm, like it it's not look too like, heavy. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So it doesn't look like you're sort of all spackled, but somehow you just your skin will just look flawless. So, mm. so that's pretty great. Um, I love Orbe dry texturizing spray, mm-hmm. um, for hair. It's kind of like a cross between like a dry shampoo and like a volumizing spray, but it's one of those things that like, cause I, I like to try and sort of stretch it for as long as I can between having to wash my hair. Cause who can yep. be bothered? <laughs> so it's, I can get like, I can get a good four days with this, like just kind of chuck a little bit of it into the roots every day. Apparently, I have one of them, but by new unite, which is what. The girls at nine here and boys at nine here swear by. Okay, oh, I'm starting that, that into one. the mix. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. I'm put. I'll mentally mm-hmm. putting that on my list now. I'll just try that one. Um, so that one's fantastic. What else do I like? Oh my god, so many things. Um, Maybe a good lip. A good lip. Oh, look, hard to go. Hard to go past Giorgio Armani for yeah. lips. Um, Giorgio Armani or YSL actually. It's like cheesing between your children. Right. I'm having major problems. You know, I have, I have like probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 lipsticks and you know what? They are all the same color. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) They're all this like like, nudie, light pink. pinky. Yeah. yeah, yeah, With a bit of peach. With a bit. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. No, they're all sort of very slight variations on that. Um, I actually think, you know what? Clarence lipsticks are also really nice. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, back, back from my original counter days, like Clarence makeup's really underrated. Oh, and the other thing I'm absolutely obsessed with at the moment, um, fragrance-wise, is this perfume by Juliet Has a Gun called Not a Perfume, and which you know is a weird thing, but it's it's like a single note fragrance, and it's a base note. So, like when you spray it on your skin, you can't really smell anything mm. very much, but it kind of melds and warms up with your skin so it doesn't smell like perfume but it just smells like you smell fantastic yeah so it's like i don't know like the cashmere jumper or sort fresh of the clean cuddly towels of yep. of perfume but but warm oh it's heaven mm, the smell yeah. of domestic productivity look i feel like it's more i don't i don't even know what it is but it smells like just really good skin mm. yeah well i think there are probably a few items going into the cart as we speak. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, so good you know, sales. And that's, you only got good me started. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. Well, uh-huh. I know you're a very busy woman and you've got a flight to catch back to Melbourne. So thank you so much for joining us and for giving your time and, and sharing your story with us, Kate. We really appreciate it. Oh, my absolute pleasure. That was the very impressive Kate Morris. Thank you to Kate for sharing her story with future women. You can find her on Instagram at Kate Adore Beauty. I'm Sylvia Jeffries. Don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. 
Give us a rating if you're on iTunes and if you really enjoyed this chat, then please go ahead and leave a review while you're there. You can stay up to date with the latest Future Women events at futurewomen.com. This podcast was brought to you by AIA, supporting Australians to live healthier, longer, better lives. AIA insurance for life, health and well-being. Thanks for listening. Next week, we chat to Laura Henshaw from Health and Fitness Juggernaut. Keep it cleaner.